well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be talking with uh, Chuck Michelle, head of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, also part of the uh, Second Amendment Law Project, about a number of uh, cases around the country that uh, Chuck and his fellow attorneys are uh, litigating, including the uh, ban on so-called assault weapons and large-capacity magazines in Illinois, uh, as well as a host of legal challenges out in California. Oh, St. Benitez, when will you deliver us? From all of this gun control nonsense. Yeah, we are waiting on uh, U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez to issue several decisions. We'll uh, get an update from Chuck about that in just a moment. Before we do, however, uh, you know, Biden's America is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. Just look at the price of lunch meat the next time you go to the grocery store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, with thousands of five-star reviews. And they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. And now, let's get to our conversation, a beefy discussion of multiple lawsuits around the country uh, with California Rifle and Pistol Association head Chuck Michelle. Take a look and a listen. Chuck, thanks as always, sir, for coming on the program. It's good seeing you again. Always a pleasure, Cam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about, but um, I know one of the things that, that, you know, gun owners have been interested in for, for quite some time uh, is what's going on with the cases that are before judge Roger Benitez, uh, because he's got multiple cases, right? Oral arguments have been held. We're waiting on these decisions to come down. Um, obviously it's up to the judge when that happens, but, uh, but, but we got maybe a, um, a little bit of an update uh, in a, uh, in a court hearing last week, right? Yes. Uh, folks should recall there are four cases pending in front of Judge Benitez, one challenging the semi-auto ban, one challenging the ban on magazines that hold over 10 rounds, one challenging the ammunition sales restrictions, and one challenging uh, regulations of billy clubs, uh, because it's not just firearms, it's other arms too. Uh, but uh, one of those cases, the Rody case, which challenged the ammunition background checks and, and interstate sales of ammo, uh, was not, we didn't have a judgment in that yet. It was still at the preliminary injunction phase. Remember, all these cases were decided by Judge Benitez, went up on appeal, kind of sat there for a while. Then when Bruin came down, they all came back down again. So uh, some of them, <clears throat> the Judge Benitez is ready to send them back up again, but he wanted to get a judgment in place on Rody to finalize it. So it wouldn't, you know, otherwise there's a potential it could have to come back down again. So he wants to get that judgment in place in that one remaining case. And that's why he had the hearing. Now at the hearing, the state was, you know, doing their usual thing. Oh, we need more time to get experts. We need to is introduce history, you know, and, and the judge was very skeptical. He's like, what, what new stuff have you found? Hmm. Uh, uh, so 
I don't think he's buying it, but he gave him time because being a smart judge, he recognizes that if he doesn't, then they're going to go up to the Ninth Circuit and say, hey, we just needed more time. We could approve this. Right. And the circuit will send it back down again. So um, that he, they got 30 days to do that. And this, and we, on behalf of CRPA and the other plaintiffs, will file our response shortly thereafter. And then I think we're going to get an opinion out of him uh, pretty quick uh, thereafter. So maybe by the end of summer, we'll be looking for an opinion. Now, hopefully at the same time, they'll give us opinions on the other cases that are pending, or maybe even before. Uh, but one of the things we noticed in court is that the judge, you know, he mentioned he needed to have eye surgery. He was having a hard time reading. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why it's taken him so long, because he did mention that he's reading every declaration, every bit of evidence, even the sources that are cited in those declarations, so he's really doing his homework. And I think we're going to get, when we finally do get these decisions from him, I think we're going to get a set of the most comprehensive and thorough uh, Second Amendment rulings that have come down from anywhere else in the country. I, you know, I, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, Judge Benitez has, has delivered some pretty in-depth opinions before, which is one of the reasons why Gavin Newsom hates him <laughs> with a white-hot passion, uh, because he does such a an excellent job of refuting uh, the, the rationale for these California gun laws. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I hate to hear that, uh, the judge is having some, uh, some eye issues. Hopefully he's able to get those resolved, but that does perhaps explain why, uh, it has been a while because if, you know, if we're getting this, these thorough decisions, uh, and at the same time, he's hampered a bit, uh, by vision problems, you know, that, that could account for the delay. So hopefully, uh, like you said, by the end of the summer, we do have some, some news to report out of those four cases, um, meanwhile, y'all are busy all over, over the country. I mean, not only with the California Rifle and Pistol Association, but with the Second Amendment Law Project. Uh, you were in Illinois recently for oral arguments with the uh, Illinois ban on so-called assault and large capacity magazines, right? Yes, we're helping out several. Of my, my firm is helping out several of the of plaintiffs in uh, one of the cases there. There's four cases there, actually six cases there, too. Uh, <clears throat> and they were all consolidated, basically, put together in the Seventh Circuit, and we appeared in front of a three-judge panel in the Seventh Circuit, who, uh, which the, the biggest judge on there was Easterbrook, Judge Easterbrook. He's very well known, uh, um, and he definitely dominated the proceedings, let's say. He wanted to ask a lot of hard questions, but I'm not sure that those questions were really appropriately addressed it. the lawyers that were arguing on behalf of the plaintiffs, really, he seemed to be criticizing the Bruin decision itself and wanted to argue and ask these questions of the Supreme Court. Uh, and I mean, Bruin says what it says. If you don't like it, you're an inferior court. And he, he, has, he as much as said so. So, but he was definitely uh, trying to, uh, I mean, you can listen to the oral argument at the Seventh Circuit's website, and it's actually very, very revealing uh, the state has managed to confuse a lot of things about the the, the process of doing a Bruin, a Bruin, applying the Bruin test and doing an evaluation of the constitutionality of a law. They're trying to beef up this, trying to make it a two-step process again, saying that not everything, you know, right to keep and bear arms does not include all arms. Uh, and it's just, it's disgusting, really. It's very discouraging to see the state 
twist things again. And this is the same kind of game they played after Heller for years, twisting the, the meaning of Heller. And here Bruin comes along and explains what they meant in Heller. And now they're twisting Bruin. So um, I think there will have to be some clarification from the Supreme Court on that. But I'm not, to be honest, I'm not particularly hopeful. I think we're probably going to get a two to one decision out of the Seventh Circuit because we did have one judge who got it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll probably have to go on bonk to the to the to the rest of the panel to the rest of the, ninth, of the seventh circuit judges and and see if we have better luck there why maybe, you know, i still have my fingers crossed we might get lucky <laughs> easterbrook might have a you know he's i think he's he, he yeah, he's he's <clears throat> he might accept that he's stuck with what bruin says and recognize he doesn't have the power to I'm probably wishfully. I'm thinking wishfully. Forget it. <laughs> I, I, you know, you you are. Listen, you are a very optimistic guy, and I don't want to disabuse you of that. But um, so I've got two follow up questions based on what you just said, uh, and we'll, we'll go with the easy one first. Um, but I want to come back to the arguments that the state of Illinois is using. Why, if you do get this two one decision that says, oh yeah, yeah, the, the, these laws are fine, why go on bonk to the Seventh Circuit and not appeal directly to the Supreme Court? Uh, well, because we might win on bonk. The numbers aren't as badly stacked. It's pretty much even. And the whole the whole Seventh Circuit Court would sit on that on bonk panel. Okay. And so, uh, and plus, we don't know what's going on with the U.S. Supreme Court. We know they took the Rahimi, mm -hmm. if I pronounced that right, case, uh, which deals with felons, the, the, the federal law banning felons from possessing firearms. And there may be some guidance coming out of them on that. But I think there's, they might be reluctant to take a quote unquote assault weapon case. It's an election year, even though that supposedly doesn't influence their decisions. But you can see the headlines. I mean, when, when after Heller and after the Dobbs decision on abortion, you know how this stuff is spun. Right. It's just unfortunately so much baloney, so much misinformation, so many falsehoods out there about what an AR platform gun is capable of doing. I mean, they're really, they're making it like it's the same thing as a fully automatic. I mean, that was half the battle at the Seventh Circuit argument, trying to explain no, you know, this is the thing they try and uh, run us uh, up with is, well, if you can't ban semi-autos, then you can't ban full autos. And we're like, well, there's a distinction there. It's not an issue with this case, uh, but uh, and you shouldn't really be deciding that. Bruin says what it says. Yeah. Uh, but you could draw a line. Uh, some courts have drawn a line uh, between full and semi-auto. So, uh, but... Regardless, so the, the, there are some downsides to this that the Supreme Court might not want to take a semi-auto ban case immediately, uh, and it's just I think because we we can always get it in there next session, but we don't have to be in there in like November or October. We can be there, you know, a few months later after we right. see what the panel does. Okay. And you've still got the, the Colby case. Yeah, you got Colby out, and then we're waiting on the decision from the Fourth Circuit, three judge panel on the Fourth Circuit there. Um, and and they've you know held oral arguments, I think, back in December. So, you know, that that case could be decided uh, at any time. But I want to go back to the rationale that the state of Illinois is using because we're hearing this from 
uh, again, in other mag band cases and uh, other uh, cases dealing with, you know, modern sporting rifles. In fact, uh, U.S. District Court Judge Karen Immergut uh, up in Oregon recently uh, upheld uh, Oregon's ballot measure uh, 114 because she said that uh, quote unquote large capacity magazines aren't they're not arms. Right. So they're not protected right. by the Second Amendment. Um, you've got uh, other judges uh, who've said, well, you know, bans on semi-automatic uh, rifles are OK because they're dangerously unusual, uh, yes, which is, uh, again, not, not a thing. Right. And, uh, you know, um, so, uh, you know, how concerned are you? Because, I mean, you, you reference this, but how concerned are you that these we are seeing activist judges around the country? They're not ignoring Bruin, but they're interpreting Bruin in such a way so that it allows for all kinds of of restrictions on commonly owned firearms and legal guns. I'm I'm very concerned. I mean, this is what they did with Heller. They twisted it and it took 12 years to fix it. The only thing, the only comfort I can take is that some judges are going to get it righter. They're going to get it right, even though others may try not to. Uh, and, And also the Supreme Court, the way it's put together right now, they're not going to wait 12 years to take another case. I mean, they've already taken taken one. And, and I think that Justice Thomas and Alito and probably several others don't want the lower courts to get away with what they got away with in misinterpreting Heller. They want to set the, they, they will take a couple more cases to, to set the record straight. It's not a two-step test. Everything is an arm. The only thing that's not an arm is like indiscriminate arms, like maybe, because the militia owned cannons back in the Revolutionary War. But that's not the question. Even if the Second Amendment's plain language covers everything, then it's is, is historically have there been uh, limitations placed on particular types of firearms or types of people or types of places where you could possess firearms, which would indicate that the founding fathers would tolerate a modern a law. And that, that's it. You know, this, they're really trying to bollocks us up by stopping on that first step, which is, does the plain language of the Second Amendment cover the conduct that's being challenged here? Of course, magazines are covered. They're part of, just like ammunition is covered, just like a, a barrel is covered, a, a, a trigger is covered. I mean, all those things are part of a firearm. Even, in my view, even fully auto are, are covered. They're arms. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they can't be regulated it just means that they're covered by um by the plain language that's all it's supposed to be is a question it's not supposed to be a test and that's what the uh, the the states have tried to turn it into as another hurdle before you even get to the historical analogs it's not supposed to be it's just a simple question you know if you're driving your car down the street and you don't have a firearm and there's nothing then this that that doesn't implicate the second amendment but if you have a firearm and you're hunting or target shooting or using it for self-defense, and it's any kind of a bearable firearm, then it it is covered by the Second Amendment. And again, the question then becomes, is it uh, something that the founders would have tolerate, tolerated a regulation on? So that, yes, it, they got to set this straight. Because yeah. what happens is one court does it, and then the other court, this is what happened with Heller, one court mm-hmm. does it, and then the other courts pile on. And they don't really think it through anymore unless you get a, a good, a really good judge. Right. Like had in some of the cases with Heller, like Kavanaugh and his dissent in Heller too, you know, those kind of things where a judge pays attention. But uh, generally you can get a critical mask on here and it could be trouble. So we got to, we have to keep 
fighting back against. That's why the Second Amendment Law Center is in every one of these courtrooms. Every state that has a semi-auto or a magazine and now sensitive places is the, the latest thing they're trying to, to use to, to, to uh, infringe on the Second Amendment. Uh, we are in any state that has something like that launching amicus campaigns to try and stop it. You know, and again, I mean, you mentioned sensitive places. Um, uh, one of the lawsuits uh, in Maryland right now challenging the Montgomery County's uh, new sensitive places. There was a, a court filing, uh, I think it was last week, maybe a week before last. And uh, in that filing, the plaintiffs included a map of all of the, you know, banned locations in Montgomery County. And I, I happened to look at I found a, a map of the population density in Montgomery County. It's amazing how well that matches up. Like you can theoretically carry where nobody lives. You can theoretically carry out in the pastures, right? And out in, uh, you know, the hinterlands. But in any of the populated areas in Montgomery County, home to 800,000 or so people, if you so much as set foot outside of your home uh, with your firearm, you're running the risk of committing a felony because you're not even allowed to transport your firearm in your car unless it is, you know, locked up in the trunk, unloaded. Um, these are the games that are being played right now. You know, we just had a story today, New York police department issuing fewer licenses post Bruin than they did beforehand. So, you know, the defiance that we're seeing to Bruin, um, is evident all around the country. And I, I, I hope that you're right, that the court is not going to let this go for another 12 years. They are going to uh, step in at some point. Um, and you talk about the segment of law center because, you know, you guys are litigating all around the country. This is not just a California thing. Um, so what, what is the mission of the segment of law center and how can folks support what you're doing with that, uh, with that entity? Well, uh, it's primarily to run friend of the court brief campaigns, which is the Mika's brief. Now, the reason that's so important is because the parties to a lawsuit, the named parties, they cannot fund and they cannot write Amicus briefs on their own. And they have to be careful about even coordinating or overmanaging uh, the, 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 the amicus briefs that they want to have submitted or that they or, or what they want them to say. So there's a there's sort of a line drawn there. And then the, all the party, the parties are always limited in their page in the number of pages that their brief can be. There's page limitations, court imposed page limitations. So they can't a lot of times they can't say everything they would like to say. So by bringing in uh, friends of the court, amicus parties, amicus uh, 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 entities, to sign on to these briefs, we're able to uh, sort of assign uh, the, the, the amicus that has the right interest, then get a competent lawyer from among the, the lawyers that I've worked with for 30 years, you know, Hallbrook, Copel, all the best uh, attorneys are on our advisory board, and then uh, come up with the topic and also divvy up the topics so that the briefs are not redundant. And that's a lot of times what happens when you don't manage an amicus campaign, you get a lot of briefs saying the same thing as the main brief, mm -hmm. and they really don't serve the same perfect purpose. So if you do a well-coordinated amicus campaign, it could make the difference between winning and losing because you educate the court, you provide information that the parties don't have time uh, or space uh, to put into their briefs. So that's why we're working all across the country. Any state that has, right now it's semi-auto, magazine or sensitive places to try and limit your seat the value of your cc of your concealed carry license uh but we'll be involved in we're already launching in the supreme court for the rahimi the rahimi case 
I'm still not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I think you are. I think you are. I've been calling him Zachy Rahimi. If I'm wrong, I guess his attorneys can, uh, you know, email yeah. me and let me know. But uh, so, so you all will be uh, filing briefs in that case? Oh, God, yeah. We're having calls. Look, look we, I mean, we have calls with all the people, the lawyers that represent various people who might be interested. By the way, that often includes state governments. Uh, we in, in the Illinois case, we had 24 state attorney generals file briefs on behalf of 24 states. That's pretty big news. And they did the same thing in Delaware. Uh, and by the way, just as a side note, you know, Gavin Newsom wants to do a confident con constitutional convention to pass the 28th Amendment. He needs two thirds of the states to, to vote in his favor. Well, he's already there's 24 states already on record saying they don't think the government should be banning semi-autos. Yeah. So he, he loses before he starts. It's, I don't know if it's possible for his proposal to be deader on arrival than it was to begin with, but it's dead on arrival. So. <laughs> All right, listen, uh, we, we are leaving a lot of stuff on the table here. We could talk for literally hours, um, but I know that you've got some other stuff to do. I've got some other stuff to do. But I, I can you come back in a couple of weeks? Because I want to talk about what's going on in Delaware. I want to talk about what's going on in Washington. I want to talk about what's going on at the local level in California, where you, you, CRPA has been doing great work sending out these you know demand letters saying, hey, you guys are running into trouble here. If you keep going down this road, you're going to get sued. Um, so I want to talk about the success that you've seen and in, in getting some of these local governments to claw back some of the most egregious uh, infringements in terms of, you know, licensing fees and things of that nature. Can, can we have you back in the very near future? Of course, Cam, you're my brother. I've known you forever and I love what you do. <laughs> and, and by the way, with all the other challenges to getting the word out through social media about our position and what we're doing to fight for everybody's rights, channels like yours are critically important to us. So I'm always happy to do anything I can to support you and other folks who are helping to get the word out when we have all this resistance from a lot of social media channels about putting our content up there. So uh, love to come back. You know, we, we may have to have a weekly show here. <laughs> you might have to start, you might have to start doing commercials. Listen, I am not adverse to that. Uh, there is so much going on. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that we could have new content on a weekly basis. So, um, all right, well, I tell you what, let's not wait, let's not wait two weeks. Okay. You got it every two weeks. No, no, no. I said, let's not wait two weeks. I want to have you back next week. Can we have you back next week? I'm, I'm, okay. I'm in. Because it, people need to re realize it's a historic time. This is going to be a time that lawyers and judges are going to be talking about for centuries. Yeah. This is how this is the time period where the Second Amendment was tested and changed or not changed. It was it was expanded. It was restricted. This is when it's going to happen. So everybody should stay in the loop on that. Who cares about your Second Amendment freedoms? Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll reach out. We'll figure out a day next week, but uh, let's get you back on because we do have much more to talk about. Uh, in the meantime, Chuck, if folks want to help out uh, CRPA or the Second Amendment Law Center, how do they do so? Uh, CRPA.org if you're California specific, 2ALC.org if you uh, want to help us with the with the national stuff. Uh, and uh, you can you can if you're in a particular state that you want to support the efforts there, you can earmark your funds to be spent in that state. And we will we will use it where uh, where it's needed. Excellent. And by but the way, also stay informed. Sign up for the email so you know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And don't wait till you know it's your state. I mean, if you live in a state right now with pretty good gun laws and you feel really comfortable, don't assume that that's always going to be the case. You know, help out where you can. Help out your brothers and sisters who are fighting these fights right now. 
Uh, so you can keep these fights out of your borders and you don't have to go it. through this. They're pushing it to you. It's yeah. not going to just float there. They are actually pushing it everywhere. So yep. it will come soon to a neighborhood near you. All right. Well, listen, we're going to have more with Chuck Michelle coming up next week on Barry and Arms Cam and Company. In the meantime, Chuck, thank you for everything you do. Uh, really glad you could carve out a few minutes today and we'll pick up the conversation again in a few days. Always a pleasure, Cam. Look forward to it. Well, thank you once again to Chuck for joining us on the program. And uh, yes, we'll be keeping you updated on all of these uh, lawsuits going forward. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. And our recidivist report will start with that. A, a case out of Texas, uh, Humble, Texas, where Fox 26 reporting that uh, turns out the two people who've been arrested for shooting and robbing a woman at a Costco last Wednesday, as well as leading police in a dangerous chase. Well, one of them out on bond, uh, the other out on probation. 24-year-old Gary Nisha Richard and 23-year-old Darian Robertson. That's going to say the pair went on a wild crime spree uh, last Tuesday, about 1.30 in the afternoon, when a woman loading groceries into her car at Costco was shot. Investigators say she spotted Gary Nisha Richard stealing her purse from her car. When she asked what she was doing, detectives say Richard then shot her in the parking lot in broad daylight. Uh, a license plate reader, uh, Richard and Robinson, allegedly uh, drove away in a vehicle that he says they stole from her. Uh, police say they stole from a gas station. Uh, and uh, while a license plate reader alerted the Harris County Sheriff's Office of the stolen vehicle, uh, deputies were able to uh, get behind the pair and eventually make an arrest. Not before Richard allegedly bailed out of the vehicle, hopped into the backseat of a black car in a Waffle House parking lot. Uh, the two people inside that car quickly got out. Uh, police say that uh, she jumped in the front seat, hit one of the detectives with the car, then rammed two police cars and stopped. And that is when they were able to take her into custody. Robertson, meanwhile, drove to an apartment complex and gave up after a, a short standoff. Fox 26 says there are a lot of mugshots on file for Richard. Her criminal history includes everything from drug possession to theft to burglary and even kidnapping in March of last year, where according to court records, she stole a running car at a gas station with a four-year-old boy inside. It's unknown whether or not uh, Richard was adjudicated in that case or if that case is still ongoing, but for whatever reason, she was out on probation at the time. Um, meanwhile, uh, Robertson out of jail on bond for an aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon charge from last year. So that case has not been adjudicated, but he was arrested, charged, and then they let him go. We don't know what his bond was. We don't know if this was, you know, no bond, low bond, but uh, he was out on bond and now stands accused of, again, committing another crime there in uh, Humble, Texas. Today's Armed citizen story from the Chicagoland area where uh, Fox News reported an armed good Samaritan stopped a robbery of a mailman in a uh, Chicago suburb. How about this? Uh, witness who lives in the area in uh, River Grove, Illinois, told uh, NBC Chicago, I heard a, like a bang, bang, and uh, bang, 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 and then my mom screams, tell me those weren't gunshots. Well, as it turns out, they were. Police said they responded to a neighborhood in the uh, village of River Grove around 9.30 last Tuesday, where they discovered a, a U.S. postal worker was approached by an armed suspect who demanded the postman's keys. Mail carrier complied, uh, but an armed witness intervened and fired at the suspect, according to witnesses who spoke to various media outlets. Police say, quote, words and gunshots were exchanged, and that the male suspect then ran back to the vehicle that dropped him off, and the vehicle fled north on uh, River Road. Um, 
the postal worker apparently uh, was able to rely on a couple of other good Samaritans uh, who uh, took him into the home, saying that he was rattled by the incident. Uh, older of uh, one of two sisters spoke to NBC Chicago and said, my mom let the mailman inside her house to see if he's okay because she talks to him regularly, always comes around here. He was just very distressed, very scared. You could tell he was very nervous from what had just happened. Uh, nobody injured during the attempted robbery or uh, uh, defensive gun use. The uh, postal vehicle was not stolen, uh, thankfully. Local police say they're working with the uh, U.S. Postal Inspection Service on the investigation. They say they also believe at least four suspects were involved there in the attempted robbery and are considered to be armed and dangerous. So who knows what could have befallen that uh, mail carrier were it not for the timely intervention of that armed citizen. Finally today, speaking of timely interventions, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, the crew of the J.W. Westcott, who has pulled a second man from the Detroit River in two weeks. Now, I confess, when I saw that headline, I thought somebody named J.W. Westcott had acted as the hero. But no, uh, the J.W. Westcott is a it's a boat that has been uh, plying the waters of the Detroit River for decades. Back on July the 12th, the uh, crew of the J.W. Westcott were celebrated as heroes after saving an employee of the Ambassador Bridge who had fallen. And uh, once again, they were able to save a life this past weekend. Um, According to the uh, deckhand, Al Holland, or one of the deckhands on the uh, Westcott, back on July the 12th, somebody fell from the Ambassador Bridge about approximately 150 feet from where he fell to the water, and uh, Holland said, and then just yesterday on Saturday, we had someone had a mishap, misjudged the dock, and uh, fell into the water. This, thankfully, not a 150-foot plunge. The man was fishing at the time, decided that, uh, you know, he was going to uh, bend over to just his line or something, I guess. But when he bent over, he went a little too far, then fell in. The uh, crew of the West got on hand, threw their life preserver into the water. Holland says, you just toss it out there. They have to do some work. I wear my life vest. I'm standing right there. Makes me nervous. But uh, thankfully, uh, in this case, the fishermen safe and sound because of the uh, crew of the J.W. Westcott there in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Speaking of Detroit, by the way, on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Camera Company, we're going to be talking with Detroit Firearms Instructor Rick Ector. It is that time of year again. You know, every year Rick puts on this massive event, multiple days, training as many women as he can uh, in the basics of gun safety with the help of a a lovely team of volunteers. So this is coming up. We're going to give you all the details on tomorrow's Cam and Company and talk to Rick about why it's so important that he does this year after year and uh, what changes he might have noticed over the years of hosting this event, and not just, by the way, a rise in the number of attendees. So, again, that's coming up on Tuesday's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day today. We'll keep you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information. And if you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member, maybe even a VIP gold member. That way you can get access to all kinds of exclusive content throughout the Town Hall Media family of websites. Uh, including BarryandArms.com, where we are going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else because your support matters, and it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. If you uh, want to subscribe, just go to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. And once again, I truly do thank you for your support. Looking forward to being back with you tomorrow for 2A Tuesday. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.